we weren't chosen as a finalist, which was a little bit sad, obviously. But I think now that I look back to 2020, we made so much progress then that I see why we weren't chosen. But that's when I first heard about the competition. And when this year's applications opened, I was like, I'm going to try again. We know so much more. We have working prototypes. We made a lot of progress. Maybe this will be a good time. Hello, this is Elida Shamilgil. I'm the CEO of Organic Robotics, and you're listening to Heads and Tails Podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week, I'm excited to have on Elida Samagil, who grew up in Istanbul, Turkey, is a graduate of Cornell University's uh, mechanical engineering program. She's the co-founder and CEO of Organic Robotics Corporation. She's also the mastermind behind the award-winning Light Lace technology, which aims to prevent injuries in athletes. And most recently, she's the 2021 winner of the NFL's first and future competition, which is where I found your your story. And I said, I got to get Elida on the podcast is exactly what, you know, the kind of stuff we like talking about. So Elida, thanks for coming on. And if you could just start off by kind of explaining how light lace technology works, what it is, and even like where the idea even came from for you. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me also. But yeah, light lace technology is basically a stretchable sensor, but it's soft and it's soft and it uses light. So what we do is we make these fibers and then we shine light through one end and we measure the intensity on the other. So that information gives us data on the biomechanics of the players. So that could be their motion, their respiration rates, as well as their muscle activities specific to each muscle group. So these are just fibers, but what we do is we integrate them into garments so that the athlete can just wear a garment that they would normally wear, but have it be smarter, I guess. Really cool. Yeah. So a couple of things I got from that is like, I know a lot of fitness tracking devices to me are like pretty uncomfortable. I know like nothing against whoop or anything like that, but I wore a whoop for a long time and it's just like not always comfortable to have that on you or whatever. So I like the idea how it's kind of integrated. And like you said, it's not like a big bulky thing. It's kind of getting a lot of data. My other question is, how do you use the light? So how does like the light get measured and then get distributed to like a usable data set that you can, you know, start making decisions off of? I guess think about it this way. It's just a trend, like close to transparent fiber. So if you put an LED on one side, the light travels through the fiber. And then we have a little pod, electronics pod slash hub that has all the components that we would need to get that information and transmit it via Bluetooth to your phone, to our application. And then through the application, you can look at the data that we pro- pre-process for you, which will give you information on your muscles, respiration, emotion, like I briefly mentioned earlier. Okay. So you got the, you have the hub and that kind of like calculates all the the data and, and puts it into the app for you to, to read what's going on. Is the light also like visible to the eye? 
like, could you look down? Like I had the envision when I was coming up with these questions, I'm like, I'm riding my bike on like a 50 mile bike ride. Like you said, you want to kind of extend the product down to uh, lower body garments. I'm like, well, what if I had bike shorts on that had the light lace on the, my legs and I could like look down and be like, Oh wow. Like I'm really tired. I need to drink some more, you know, electrolytes or something. Yeah, definitely. So currently they glow so you can see the light and they glow red, but we can do it. We can make it glow different colors as well, but we can also use infrared light so you can't see it. So that's up to the user. We're currently going with the glowing option because we think it looks cool and it can also be used as a feedback mechanism like you mentioned. But if that becomes a problem for certain use cases, we can definitely do it invisible to the user. That's really cool. So you're saying like there's a difference in like brightness potentially, like depending on the fatigue of the muscle or whatever that might be? We're thinking of doing like a messaging kind of thing. So the light maybe would like glow on and off like a few times to let you know. So that part, we haven't yet decided how to, like what would make more sense for feedback, but that's an option. It could, it could become dimmer. It could also just go on and off. Where did the idea for this or the inspiration behind this product like come from? Did you just like take a class at Cornell and you kind of talked about similar technology? Like, oh, maybe we can implement this in sports or like, how did it come up? Cause it seems like very complicated and involved. So I'm just curious, like what was the thought process to make it become a reality? Right. So technology has been, the light light sensors has been in the works at Cornell University's Organic Robotics Lab. And that's kind of how our name comes from for the past, let's say, six years. But what we did as a company is we took this technology, we changed it a little bit, added little tweaks to make it work better when commercialized because lab technology doesn't always work perfectly for a commercial application. So we added some of our own, I guess I'd say IP to make it work for our purposes. And then next step was to decide where to take the sensor, because in the end, it's just a fiber that senses things. And it's not necessarily just for athletic performance, but we looked into different areas as well. And the couple that came up a lot was automotive. So that's for looking at whether there's a kid left behind in the car or how's the driver behaving? Are they swaying from one side to the other. And that's by integrating light lace into car seats. Then we looked at into virtual reality applications. So imagine gloves that have light lace sensors. Then you can not only see your fingers, but you'll also know how much pressure or force you're applying to when you're doing something in virtual reality. That would be most helpful for training, I think, for medical and military applications, but could be interesting for gaming as well. And then we looked into robotics, like giving robots a feel of touch. And then came performance applications, which is kind of more fun, I guess, because we can all all relate to it. We can all imagine wearing this garment. And then we were doing customer discovery, talking to people in these different markets. And we found that with athletic performance, there's a huge growing trend for needing access to more data and how that can be more helpful for the athletes, both pro level and amateur level. So that's when we were like, okay, maybe we should focus on performance. And then we, I guess we dig more deep into it and decided to go with that sports. Really cool. Yeah. No, I was amazed by the presentation that was on the NFL network uh, a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, really, really great stuff. So, so basically the light lace measures motion, muscle fatigue, and respiration. Am I correct? 
For the performance application, that's currently what we're measuring. Specifically for performance. Okay. So what about those measurements like lead you to believe that it could be potentially injury preventing technology? What about the motion? What about the muscle fatigue? And what about the respiration rates? What are the thresholds that might cause someone to say like, yeah, you're, you might hurt yourself when you hit this number? So I think if you look at the current solutions, people are already trying to measure these because they are an indicator of fatigue. But you either have to do it in a lab setting or like an indoor training facility because of the constraints of the electronics and the technologies available. Or you just have to spend a lot of money and that's just not feasible for everyone to do. So knowing there's a need for measuring muscle fatigue, we were thinking, is there a way we can do that without all this constraints? And I think the idea for fatigue is that it changes from people to people, person to person. So you can't just compare X person X and X person Y and say, oh, you like did this motion 10 times, so you should be tired because it's different from everyone. So by offering this solution, we can measure threshold per person, which not only helps prevent the injuries, but also helps them, helps the training staff individualize the training program per athlete. So that's that's kind of what we're hoping. And respiration is similar, I'd say, because if you think about it, whenever you're exercising, working with a personal trainer, they're always like, you should breathe right, like now inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, because it heavily affects how your muscles behave. Like when your muscles are relaxed, you should be doing certain motions, but not the others. And by providing that information to the athlete and the training staff, we can make sure they look and compare and know like, oh, this is when you're fatigued. This is how you were breathing when you were fatigued. So maybe you should change that. That's what we're going for. Like the correlations between the two that that's learned by, you know, the software for each individual. Exactly. Also, same thing with motion. I think another important thing that I want to add is that when you get fatigued, you might change your motion to prevent further fatigue. And if you change your motion, then you might end up doing the exercise wrong. And that could also result in injuries. So all three sets of information is helpful one by one. But if you combine them together, I think that provides a more holistic view of the training or the game session. Awesome. So I, I think with the motion, I can like picture how it would be measured with light lace, like in terms of angles and stuff, like with your joints and how you're moving, like I could see that easily being measured, but how is the muscle fatigue aspect of light lace measured like through the technology and same with the respiration? Like how does the measuring of the light translate to, oh yes, this is a fatigue muscle versus a fresh muscle and respiration rate? So what light lace can measure is mechanical deformations or mechanical changes. And when you breathe, your vol like your tidal volume changes. So light lace fibers then stretch more. So by looking at how much they're stretching, we can get breathing patterns and breathing rates. And if we calibrate it in the long term, we can also get your tidal volume. And that's similar to muscle fatigue in that your muscles change shape and that makes the fiber to also stretch more or stretch less. And another thing we can do is if you, so your muscles also get stiffer when you get tired. And if you press on light lace, we could get how stiff your muscles are. So there are like a couple things we combine to get muscle fatigue, not just the shape change, but all this information. 
So it, it's it's a size a size thing and a and a movement thing. That's really interesting. What you what you call the the muscle the title something? Muscle title like yeah. What's that? Well, it was. Oh, just like the this like when your muscles fill up with blood or something because you're using that muscle, it, it increases in size. Like you're feeling swole, like that kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But now you can quantify it instead of just saying, this is how I feel or, Oh, it looks bigger on, on the mirror. But now you can say, Oh, it was like 10% bigger today. Whereas it was only like 8% more work yesterday. And then you also compare those to like your emotions and say, Oh, I was moving less versus I was moving faster. Yeah, I'm just thinking in my head, like even when you when your legs start to feel that like lactic acid like buildup, like your legs feel huge in that moment. So I can see how it all works. I appreciate you explaining that to me. So a lot of athletic trainers I know listen to this podcast. And to me, I saw the technology. I'm like, you know, this is amazing stuff and can be completely groundbreaking. But I said, like, as an athlete who's in the heat of competition, is this like above, like over their head in terms of like data and analytics and how they're going to make that decision? So did you guys think about what role athletic trainers and team medical staff might play in using this technology? Definitely. I think it's more valuable to the training staff and the medical staff, because like you said, the athletes are too focused on the game to be thinking about these data points or like their fatigue levels. And another thing is that if we make them feel the technology, like feel like they're wearing a piece of technology, they're going to lose their focus. And we don't want that. So that's why it's soft, feels skin-like, feels like a garment. So you can just focus on the game. And while you play or while you train, the training staff can look at the data because they have more knowledge in the biomechanical area. The data would also be more valuable to them. But obviously, if the athlete wants to look at it with the training staff, because I know some athletes are very data driven, they'd be welcome to. But like you said, they would be more valuable to the training and coaching staff. And I know that you had mentioned on the on the NFL Network when they were presenting you guys with the award and you did your presentation, you mentioned that your target market was professional athletes and professional athletes have access to extensive team medical staffs and multiple athletic trainers and those high level individuals like that, whereas more amateur or high school athletes may not have access to that. So that makes sense. So would the athletic trainers like, I know years ago, I'm talking like a decade ago, Rydell, the helmet company came out with a, I forget what the exact name of it was, like hits technology or something. It was like, it measured like impacts on helmets and directional impacts and severity of impact. So an athletic trainer could see, oh, wow, this player just received X blow to the head. Like maybe we should take a look at them. So is, is that how this would work too? Like you have 11 of your players on the field. I'm just talking football and NFL. You have 11 players on the field, but you have this app that has them tracking them all. But you're like, oh, this guy's, you know, leg is looking like it's fatigued. Is that as detailed as you guys picture it being? Or Yeah, and we're picturing it specific to each muscle group too. So not just your leg, but whichever muscle group and that leg is getting tired. So extremely specific. Yeah. Wow. Which is also like probably unlike any of the other competitors that are out there, which is more of leisure, like a general difference. Cool. So how do you see these teams, medical staffs and athletic trainers, like making actual decisions like play them or sit them type decisions based off of the data that they get from Lightlace? I think there has to be a training period for the player as well. 
like just use it during training sessions and stuff to make sure you actually know what is their peak and at what level they should stop. After the training staff and the athlete agrees on that level, I think then they'd be able to make better decisions on during the game to be able to say like, okay, you should leave. Like you should not exercise anymore. Interesting. So you picture in training and in competition, like both, but more so in the training part to get like that baseline data. Yeah. I think also maybe in game data would be helpful for fan engagement because fans could see like how they're actually moving and like whose muscles are doing what, maybe not fatigue wise, because that might be a bit private information, but I think just like overall information could be interesting. Yeah, you'd have like opposing team, you know, coaches <laughs> watching the game be like, oh, look at that, you know, throw to that corner because he's like, he's he's sucking wind over there. He looks really tired. We could probably catch one over on him. Yeah, I could see the issue with that, but yeah, that's, that's really cool. So the listeners on our podcast are also athletes who have been injured or, and are in that recovery process and they're trying to get back onto the field. So do you, where, how do you see light lace fitting into an athlete's recovery from injury potentially? Yeah, it's super interesting because I think there's also a lot of potential in there for physical therapy and rehab process because with light lace garments, we can give the physical therapist information on if the athletes are doing the motions they have to do correctly and also if their muscles are reacting like they should be. And also another important thing I think is that it will let them make a better decision on whether the athlete is ready to go back to the game because right now there's some tests that they can do and then there's also the subjective answer from the athlete saying, I feel good, I'm ready to go. But if you are light lace and you know if the muscles are behaving like they did before the injury. Yeah. I mean, before we were talking about the title muscle, I can't remember if I said that right again. I, I meant title volume, which is for respiration. And then for muscle, I just meant muscle shape change. Oh, the muscle shape change. Okay. Sorry for, for the stiffness. confusion. Yeah, sorry for the confusion on that one. But I was thinking too, like, okay, you get knee surgery and you have atrophy in your leg. So like one leg's muscle is far smaller than the other leg's muscle. So light lace would probably be able to see that imbalance and same thing if like the if the muscle's not firing correctly which happens a lot after surgery and stuff like that you wouldn't get that muscle volume when the blood pump into that leg i would think also so it's it's less of like i guess when i first saw the technology i'm thinking oh is it measuring like actual like muscle electricity like the electricity that like contracts the muscle or but you're saying it's actually like the size change in in that muscle yeah, I think that might be more valuable because with the electrical activity, that can be due to anything, whereas the muscle shape change is actually due to exercising and due to training. So that's why we want to measure the mechanical changes. So what other applications do you see light lace being used for that we haven't discussed uh, yet? Um, these, I think physical therapy, rehab, individualizing the training process and injury prevention are the main ones for athletic performance and sports. But for other applications, like I briefly mentioned earlier, there's applications in virtual reality, automotive robotics and industrial applications, more healthcare applications. But another thing that I forgot to mention for performance side so light lace is just a fiber, right? Fiber sensor. And it doesn't have to be necessarily on upper body or lower body. It can also be measured, be 
integrate into socks. So then you could do gait tracking and imbalances there as well, which would be like replacing force plates, force plates that you could use during game. So that's another application. Yeah, like a, a fit. I remember on the on the show you had mentioned, uh, or somewhere I saw you mentioned figure skating. That was your background, which I think we're going to get into a little bit later. And anyone who's put on skates knows that when you first put a, on a new skate, it's definitely not the most comfortable thing in the world. So I could see the, there being a need for that as well. You had mentioned injury prevention, which I don't think we really discussed. So like, how do you picture light lace being used in an injury prevention type setting? I think the way we're envisioning is that light lace would know about each individual player's fatigue levels and what is the level before injury, like at what time they have to stop exercising. So we want to tell the training staff to pull them over, like we briefly discussed. And that way we're envisioning injury prevention is that letting them know in real time that this is the time to stop or else you might injure yourself. Yeah. And I was also thinking too, like, even as a baseline, you could probably see like, if I'm just, you know, if you're like a box jump, like you could maybe see like you're using more force from one leg than the other. And you, you can identify certain imbalances that way as well. Yeah. Imbalances are also like a big thing for injury. So I don't find that or any changes from the usual, like maybe this is how you your muscles were reacting for the past month, but today they're doing something different and we would know they're doing something different. So that might be a cause of injury. Yeah, for sure. So how did it feel to win the NFL's uh, first and future competition? Like what was that process like, you know, and applying for the, you know, the award and stuff like that. And what was that process like? I guess I should start from like last year. Cause that's when I first applied to the first and future competition end of 2019 for the 2020 competition. And we weren't chosen as a finalist, which was a little bit sad, obviously. But I think now that I look back to 2020, we made so much progress then that I see why we weren't chosen. But that's when I first heard about the competition. And when this year's applications open, I was like, I'm going to try again. We know so much more. We have working prototypes. We made a lot of progress. Maybe this will be a good time. And then I was still really surprised when they emailed us about being a finalist and just really happy, obviously. And then from that point onwards, we looked at the competitors and they were all really good, like really innovative technologies that current that either already have made an impact in sports or that I could see definitely that they're going to. So that was a bit scary, I think, because everyone was really good. But we try to keep positive and stay confident in our technology and the potential that this could be a game changer. And we got ready for the pitch. We worked really hard on the hardware that week as well, just making changes and making sure it's optimized, making sure it's the best we can do at this point. And when they announced the winners, even though I said we were confident, we were still like pretty shocked. <laughs> I think that was pretty obvious when like with our reactions, I was just like, and that's just really how I felt. No acting. So, so they didn't tell you that you won until like you were on the show and they said, you know, we select. Yeah. So we pre-recorded the show, but we learned when they announced it. So when we were recording, we didn't know. So, so tell me about 2019. So did you like, you, they didn't select you for the app, like after your application, but did that like spark like, a, oh, okay, like we need to regroup and try to do X, Y, Z. Did they give you any feedback or 
Like what was, what were the things that you changed from 2019 to 2020, where you became from not even in the competition to winning the competition? So 20, end of 2019 was when we decided, or I guess like, and yeah, end of 2019, early 2020 was when we decided we're going to try to solve this problem in sports performance, apart from instead of the other markets. So it was really new. We had done some tests with our technology. We thought about what we could do, but it was still really early and we didn't necessarily receive feedback. But what we did over the summer of 2020 is we talked to a lot of athletes. We talked to a lot of coaches, training staff. We tried to understand their problems without biasing the interview. So we just talked to them without any mention of technology and tried to understand what would be useful for them. And maybe we don't have that solution. But after talking to hundreds of people, we were like, okay, we can definitely solve a problem there. There's definitely a need. And that, I think, shaped how we tell our story and what we should focus on. And like important things that came out after that process was we learned that the athletes don't want to feel technology. They don't want to be distracted. We learned that if you want this to be successful, it should work outdoors, indoors. It should be easy to use, easy to calibrate, no wasting time. And also provide information specific to muscle groups was a big one. So by the end of 2020, when I applied to this competition again, we knew the value we could provide and we knew the problems they're facing. So I think that's why it became a better fit at that point. Nice. You guys were hustling, trying to see what the athletes wanted. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So Tell us a little bit about your your athletic background. I know that they alluded to it on the show that you had been a figure skater growing up and that it was actually a movie that kind of inspired you to follow the, you know your passion and or translate your passion of like mathematics and physics into an actual product. So can you just tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so at first I was doing gymnastics. I loved it a lot, but then I also really wanted to do ice skating cuz I watched the movie and Unfortunately, it wasn't a big sport in Turkey at the time. And that's the same thing with gymnastics. Neither of them were big sports, but those were the two I really liked. And so it was difficult for me to do it. Like it was hard to find a coach. It was hard to find a place to practice. But I kept doing it because I really enjoyed it. And obviously, the movie inspired me to focus more on engineering and science because what happens in that movie is that there's this girl who's like 15. I might be wrong because I watched it when I was like eight. So I don't remember exactly. But I think she was in high school. She started ice skating. And everyone had been training since she, since they were three or four. But she was 10 years behind them. And she did a project for her physics class, analyzing the turns and like what's the optimal jump, like when she should do this versus that. And that helped her make so much progress and win competitions. So I was eight and I was like, okay, I didn't start when I was four, but maybe I can also be successful because this girl has. And I know it's fiction, but tell that to a second or third year old kid. Everything's <laughs> everything's real to that age kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like on the fitting side of skates in the movie, there's also a scene where they tried to sabotage this girl, the, the new girl, by giving her new skates as a gift. But because she hadn't broken out into them before, she got bruised during the competition and she lost. That also made me think like, maybe we need a way to ensure they're good fitting and like know how much you have to break into them. And Lightless can provide all that information as well. No, that's great. And I'm even sitting here with like a, 
a bruise on my big toe because I bought these hiking shoes like years ago to hike the Grand Canyon. And I like crushed, I don't know what the heck I did to my big toe, but it's like permanently bruised. Like, and I, at any time I put those shoes on again, it takes like five minutes before my, that same exact spot starts hurting. I'm just going to throw them out at this point, but they're like $300 boots. So I'm like, you don't want to throw them out, but it, had I had a better fitting, you know, some technology to help me get a better fit, I would have known that, okay, this isn't the right shoe for me. I need to find something else. So I, I see the translation to, to many things for sure. So what have been your challenges in starting your own company? And I'm really interested in this because another topic that we talk a lot about on this podcast is what I call the transformation of life after sports. So, you know, everyone's sports career ends and I know me specifically, I'm very intrigued in like that entrepreneurial uh, endeavor and entrepreneurial life. So I would love to hear your experience as an entrepreneur and, and what challenges you faced and what got you to win that, you know, the first and future competition, you know, where you, you, you tasted some success. Yeah, I think you always hear people saying, oh, there's going to be a lot of no's and a lot of rejections, but you don't actually experience it unless you go through it. and starting out, you know, applying to all these competitions, these grants, looking for sources of funding. We got so many no's. And maybe this is one of the few yeses we got. But when you get that yes, you know, that's worth everything. And like with my example, I applied to this competition last year, and we got rejected, but that didn't result in me not applying the next year. So I think you just have to be consistent. And another thing, obviously, is you're willing to take a risk. Sometimes it's harder to take the risk of starting a company because there are a lot of unknowns. Sometimes in your life, you're at the point where you're more open to taking risks. So I think it was a good time for me. I recently graduated. I was like, okay, this is a good time to do this because I don't have kids. So if I, if I mess up, it's just like my problem and I'm only responsible for myself. That was one thing. And you also have to kind of put your personal bias away. So I, I had to make sure I don't go into this thinking, oh, I'm sure athletes will need this. This will be super helpful for them. I went into it asking, what would be helpful for you? Are you looking for any solution? Is there like, what's your day-to-day -day life? That's another big thing. And I think because with like former athletes, that might be a bit more difficult because they can personally relate to it. They've experienced it firsthand, but you still have to kind of put those sides away and just be a business person and just try to understand their perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been difficult. It's still difficult. We won, which is great, but there's still so many other challenges we have. Yeah, so what I heard from that was persistence is one, persistence and consistency, and then also do the research. Don't assume just because you think it will apply to you that it applies to everyone. So no, that's, that's, that's great advice. So what do you guys plan on doing with the award money from the first and future competition? So we actually have a quite big team for our current success data. So we have five full-time employees, including me. So $50,000 is great. It's also good for validation, but that kind of just helps us keep our employees around and make sure they can live off of this. So that's the main thing, but we're also planning to partner with either sportswear brands or teams to try to test our product so that we can make sure we're bringing the best product to market when it's time to do so. That's great. And it's fun. And I think you said like, 
you know, you have all this rejection and stuff like that. But like, if it was easy, it wouldn't be fun. You know, like it it wouldn't feel so good that you won that competition if you didn't have all the no's before that, you know? So yeah, it's that much more validating. So, well, actually I'm curious, what's your thoughts, you know, from growing up in Turkey, what is your thought on the sport of football in the United States? (laughs) To be honest, like it was all soccer for me here. We don't really have football here. So it was a bit different when I first watched the football game, which was, I think, at Cornell. And we don't have the greatest football team. It was very, very interesting to me because you don't really use your foot. You use your hands more. So that was confusing. And then also the fact that it takes so long, like the game lasts hours compared to soccer, where it's just like 90 minutes. Those were the main things. But also seeing how passionate people are, like they have NFL Network open all the time, every day. So that was interesting. And also college sports was something that really caught my attention because it's not big here. Like people don't cheer on college sports. We don't have big games. Whereas it's like the main thing in the U.S., which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, it's interesting. And now you're right in the thick of it and you're, you're helping the athletes on the field. So that's really cool. Yeah, still learning. Yeah, that's great. So where can people connect with you online and kind of, you know, support your cause if they want to? Yeah, so we have a form on our website they can fill out, organicobodiescorp.com, or you can reach out to me on my email, which is elida at organicobodiescorp.com. If that's hard to spell, you can also do info at organicobodiescorp.com. And then we're on LinkedIn and Twitter with the same name. Awesome. Well, Elida, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and talking about your innovation and technology. Uh, And I think we're definitely going to see light lace, you know, in, in professional sports in the very near future. And I'm really glad that I got the opportunity to ask a little bit more in-depth questioning about it to, to give us a preview of what's to come. So thank you very much. Thank you. Hopefully we can circle back once we are more known in the pro athlete space. It's going to happen. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Thank you.